Welcome to the Rock Church Audio Podcast. We are so glad that you joined us today. Rock Church is located on Harrison Avenue between Mulford and Perryville Roads in Rockford, Illinois. Today, our message is brought by one of our associate pastors, Dan Kohler. Praise God. Well, before I get in the sermon, um, you know, when you go to Bible college, you take a course called homiletics, and they teach you how to preach, you know, and they, most professors will tell you that a good sermon has a, an introduction, and it has a conclusion, and it usually has three points in the middle of it. Well, my sermon today doesn't have any points, so I think it might be pointless. <laughs> oh, dear. What are we going to do? Pray for me. <laughs> Father, we thank you for your word. For your word is truth. And I pray that your word would just pierce our hearts today. Lord, draw us closer to you through your word. Pray for your blessing to be upon it today and, and upon me. Help me to communicate what's on your heart today, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> My sermon this morning is uh, entitled Synergism. We are stronger together. Our text is found in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and mir- miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about synergism. A definition for synergism is this. It is the term used to describe a situation where different entities cooperate advantageously for the final outcome. Simply defined, it means the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So a term that's often used in business to describe teamwork. It's used in medicine. I can remember when I sold biologicals to veterinarians, they would combine two or three different viruses and the combined effect of that vaccine then gave a higher titration level to the the recipient. Let me see if I can make that a little more simple to you. Some years ago, there was a a horse show and part of the horse show was a a, uh, horse pull where they would hook ponies and horses to sledges that were filled with a specific amount of weight. And you can see a picture here of, of a single horse pulling a sledge. And what they would do is they would con- keep adding weight to the sledge until the horse couldn't pull it anymore. Well, the champion horse pulled 9,000 pounds. The runner-up, the second horse, pulled just under 9,000 pounds. Now, if you add that together, they b- pulled 18,000 pounds, right? 9,000 plus 9,000 is 18,000 pounds. 
Someone at the show said, though, they wondered what the team could pull if they harnessed them together. So they did that. They harnessed them and put a single tree between them and, and they had them hooked to the sledge. Those two horses pulled 30,000 pounds. That's what synergism is. It's 9,000 plus 9,000 equals 30,000. I believe that's why Jesus instituted the church. He knew that we would be more effective together than struggling to survive as individuals. We are stronger together. Yet many Christians today find it easy to miss Sunday services or small groups. I've been researching uh, church attendance for the last couple weeks, looking at various websites and polls and seeing what they're saying. And recent polls show that 40% of Americans consider themselves to be regular attenders at church. Now that doesn't mean that on any given Sunday that 40% of the United States is in church. You see, a lot of those regular attenders consider themselves to be a regular attender if they, the average is 1.4 Sundays a month. Some consider themselves regular attenders if they attend less than 12 Sundays a month. The surprising figure was that 18% of Americans no longer attend church at all. In one survey of mainline churches that I looked at, pastors were asked, how many people do you have? How many members do you have on your inactive roles? The figures varied between 40 and 60% of congregations, uh, of individuals not attending church. I knew of a pastor up in Minnesota that he had a church that was a thousand people, easy, maybe even more. And I asked him, how many people attend church on, on any given Sunday? And he said, well, a good Sunday, we're right at 400, uh, usually closer down towards three. But we've got over a thousand members on the books. See, the enemy of our soul desires to get us isolated. His strategy is to render you impotent and harmless. And he can do that very easily if he gets you alone. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9 tell us, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You see, the devil doesn't want you to be in, in fellowship. He doesn't want us to have relationship with each other because he knows that there is strength when we come together. I was, uh, when I was in college, an undergraduate, I uh, took a graduate level animal, animal behavior course. And so, because of that, I have this affinity towards animals, and I, I love to watch animal shows. And last week, I was watching a special on the animal planet about killer whales, orcas. 
And I was surprised to find out that depending on the geographic area that they lived in, they, they hunted in different ways. They're, they are considered the, one of the apex predators of the world. Not simply because they got big teeth, but because they have an intelligence. They can learn. And they tend to eat different prey in different areas of the world. Some of the er oak, er uh, killer whales hunt fish. And what they'll do is they'll get underneath a school of fish and they'll circle them and blow bubbles and make a, a virtual net that the fish are trapped in and then they come up and eat them. I watched another example where they hunt seals up in the Arctic. And three killer whales together were skimming along the surface of the water and they made this big wave and this wave washed a seal off the ice flow and they were able to eat it. The example that I found most interesting though was near South Africa there are killer whales that have learned to hunt dolphins and sharks When the mackerel and the sardines are running and spawning, there's these huge shoals of fish. And the dolphins come by the thousands. There could be a pod of dolphins up to 5,000 individuals. And with all the racket that they make, the orca whales can hear them. And they begin to hunt them. And when the dolphins are chattering back and forth and using their sonar, the whales go completely silent. And they drop down to the depths and they swim silently up to their prey. And as they come up behind them and from behind silently, they begin to split off little fragments of the big pods. And they split off a small group and then they divide that off and get a smaller group until finally they have one individual by themselves. And it may take them over an hour to wear that dolphin down because the dolphin is so much quicker and agile because it's smaller you got a 500-pound dolphin and a 10,000-pound whale. But the whales persist. Your enemy, your enemy of your soul, persist. And they wait until they finally get it alone and get it worn down. And when it's tired and it stops to just take a breather, an orca comes up and hits it and drives it literally out of the water and kills it. And then they eat it. That's the same tactic that the devil uses to keep you from being in fellowship. That's the same tactic that the enemy wants to use on you to get you alone, get you stranded, and render you impotent, powerless. You see, the enemy knows that there literally is strength in numbers. I was just thinking, um, I'm going to go back a minute here. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. You know, in John 17, Jesus' prayer for the disciples wasn't just for the disciples of that day. It was for the disciples forever. All of us today he prayed for. His primary concern was for the church. Jesus knew that if the enemy could divide us, he could conquer us. 
I still believe that Jesus cries out for unity in a local church. He knows that if Christians will work together in synergism, that there is great power that can occur. The results will be greater than the sum of the individual parts. I found it interesting in Luke 14, uh, chapter 4, verse 16, that it was Jesus' habit or his custom to be in synagogue every Sabbath. I found it also interesting that in Acts 17, 2, that Paul was in fellowship every week, too. If it wasn't important for them to be in fellowship every week, isn't it important for us to be in fellowship every week? To be in relationship with other believers? To come together like this? Consider this for a moment. When Jesus sent out his disciples, how did he send them out? By twos, wasn't it? Luke 10, 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was to go. He sent the 72 out two by two. He sent the 12 out in Mark chapter 6 by twos also. There's a truth here that the devil doesn't want us to see is that we are stronger together. Even the secular world understands this. Here's a quote from Henry Ford. Teamwork is the ability to work together toward a common vision. The ability to direct individual accomplishments toward organizational objectives. It is the fuel that allows common people to attain uncommon results. Repeat that last sentence. It is the fuel that allows common people to attain uncommon results. Jesus affirmed this when he said this. It's recorded in Mark chapter 18, verse 19 and 20. Again, I tell you that if two of you agree on about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with you. Where two or three of us agree in prayer, that will be done. Where two or three of us gather here today, Jesus is in our midst. There's a power at work that comes into play when we're together, when we're in fellowship. There was a power in the early church, which I believe is due in part to the community of believers coming together regularly. It was a source of strength, encouragement, and faith that each of them experienced. Again, in our text... Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. 
It's interesting to note when you see what's recorded about the early church and how effective it was. And it was because they had a commonality. They came together. They were committed to one another. They were committed to the fellowship. We're seeing a decline in church attendance in the United States. And it's not because people have left the church, but people attend church less frequently. If you have a church of 200 people and an average of only 150 show up, that's a 25% loss. It's exactly what the devil wants us to do. He wants us to be off by ourselves. I recognize that in the early church that the miraculous signs and wonders were done by the apostles and, and the work of the disciples and the work of the Holy Spirit in people and through people. And we can still have that today because we are a New Testament church. But there has to be recognized that there is something that happens when we come together in fellowship and in unity that cannot be denied that there is a power that is at work that we cannot experience when we're by ourselves. God desires to see us in fellowship because he knows that we can't do it on our own. When there's unity in the fellowship... There is an exponential power that is at work. So we looked at our text. It wasn't just happening there, but it was a power that was then taken to the then known world. How can we do any less? How can we desire any less? Even in the Old Testament, they understood the importance of coming together psalm 133 1 said how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity how good and pleasant it is when brothers live in unity hate to tell you this but it's probably one of the toughest times to be a pastor in, in the history of the church, especially in America. Everybody has issues. People travel from church to church with issues. It's been my experience that when someone comes to church with an issue, it's only about 12 to 18 months until that issue rises in this local fe uh, fellowship. God wants us to live in unity and God wants us to be in harmony. God wants us to, to move together as an organism that is comprised of many parts. And because it is comprised of those many parts, there is a strength that is exponential that happens in the spiritual realm that cannot happen any other way. Because the Holy Spirit is manifested when we come together like this. And there is a power that is released not only into us, but through us that we can literally change our little corner of the world. You're saying, Pastor, why are you preaching this to me? I'm here. This is for the ones that didn't come today. 
Well, hopefully it'll be on the website and they can hear it. <laughs> Synergism. It is a term used to describe a situation where different entities cooperate advantageously for a final outcome. Simply defined, it means that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. There are so many things today that are vying for our attention, trying to draw us away from fellowship with other believers. The writer to Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 25, put it this way, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We celebrate a communion. We celebrate it as a prophecy of the soon return of Jesus Christ. Yet, so many of us find it easy to, to miss church or to miss a small group or some activity. As I said, there's many things uh, vying to separate us. You might say, well, what, what, what kind of things, what type? Well, they're as simple as personal preferences in worship or style of service. A critical spirit that separates rather than unites. You don't move in the Holy Spirit the way I want you to. You don't do it the way I would do it. Legalism that looks at people's flaws rather than their potential. This one, this one is huge. Unforgiveness for offenses perceived and real. Church, brothers and sisters, we're called to forget, forgive people How many times have I heard someone say, well, this pastor said this or did that, or this person did that, or this elder in the church said this, and I'm offended. It breaks the heart of God. It breaks my heart. We're called to walk in forgiveness. We're called to forgive and put it behind us and go on. Let me encourage you that if someone has offended you, if at all possible, go to that person and make it right. If that's not possible, at least bring it to God and deal with it and put it behind you and forget it. Because it's an ideal tool that the enemy uses to isolate you, separate you, and render you powerless. Selfishness, which focuses on my needs and not the needs of others. 
I can't tell you how much commercialism is in church shopping today. People visiting from congregation to congregation to congregation, looking for the one that meets and ticks off all the bells and whistles on their checklist. My advice to anyone is you pray and ask God, where should I go? Where can I be a blessing? Where can I serve? Where can I be a blessing to others? I can guarantee you if you have that heart, you will find a church that will bless you and to be an encouragement to you. Another issue is minor doctrinal issues in Scripture or salvation that comes through Jesus Christ alone. There are professing Christian churches and pastors that no longer believe that. That the Bible is an inerrant word of God. I had one pastor tell me many, many years ago, you have the Old Testament here and you have the New Testament here, but we we live up here in the future, so this is just kind of a, well, it's kind of a just a good guideline. Doesn't really have daily application in our lives. This was a man that graduated from seminary. What else comes in to separate us? How about sports programs for our kids today? I have a grandson that plays club baseball. and How many weekends do they try and pull him away? And, and even Sunday, have games on Sunday, Saturday and Sundays. The world no longer respects, especially in our country, no longer respects Sunday as a special day of worship. And the enemy uses that to get us out of the habit, as it was Jesus' habit and Paul's habit, to be in fellowship. Here's a good one. I'm too tired today to get dressed and go to church. I'll, uh, I'll just watch some preacher on, on television. He's really good. The enemy of your soul wants you alone, and he wants you separated. He knows that where two or three of us gather, that the Lord comes into our midst, and he has no influence. He cannot do anything. When we come together like this, and we begin to praise and worship, and the Spirit of God falls down in this place, there is a power that is raised to the exponential nth degree. That God is able to work in our midst and God is able to do things that we couldn't even begin to think or imagine. In this new year, this first Sunday of the new year, let us endeavor as a congregation to make a commitment to be faithful to gathering together on the Lord's day. To set this day aside as being a day of the highest priority in our lives. I know that things will come in that will necessitate you missing occasionally. But don't let the minor things rob you of the blessing of being in fellowship. You see, because when we're together, we're stronger. I'm reminded of this passage in Acts 
Acts chapter 4, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke, spoke the word of God boldly. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Oh, that we would have that kind of commitment and prayer. I believe that we do. We just need to exercise it more faithfully. I want you to just bow your heads for a moment. I believe God wants to do something in our hearts today. Something in our hearts that... uh, draws a deeper level of commitment from each one of us. That we're not looking at coming together as as a requirement, but that we're coming together because we're looking forward and anticipating what God is going to do in our midst. I've said this for years, and I'll continue to say it. If you will come prayed up, expecting God to do something. You'll never leave disappointed. I remember as a young Christian, my first Pentecostal church, I would leave on Sunday mornings and I would be walking on clouds. It still happens. Because I come expecting, I come anticipating, and I know that because we've come together, because we've chosen to set this side apart just to worship God, that He's going to come down and He's going to do something that is consistent with His character and because He loves us so much. What do you need today? What do you need God to do today in your life? I want you to take a moment. And I want you, on this first Sunday of 2020, to put that on the altar in front of you. And say, God, I want you to be God in my life this year. God, I'm I'm making a commitment today that I'm going to be in fellowship every opportunity that I have. Because I want to see your power at work, not, not just in my life, but God, I want to see your power at work in the lives of people around me. I want to see people's lives changed. I want to see people come into that wondrous experience of having a personal relationship with you, Jesus. God's doing something right now. I I just sense He's moving on a number of you and He's drawing you closer to Himself. He's expressing His love to you right now. 
Are you here today and you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Never asked him to forgive you of your sins? If that's you, would you raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. Anyone? Anyone at all? healing somebody's heart right now you know Jesus said he came to bind up the wounds of the broken hearted someone here you've, you've had your heart broken God's bringing healing to that right now hallelujah thank you Lord what do you need what do you need God to do just want you to pray it out yourself bring it to him right now someone's been suffering from chronic headaches this week the Lord's touching you right now bringing healing thank you Lord thank you Jesus Someone has a stomach issue. I don't know if it's an ulcer or there's pain or I don't know if it's irritable bowel or what it might be, but I just feel like the Spirit's touching you right now. You see, there's power when we're together. There's, there's power that's at work when we're in agreement. It releases the Holy Spirit to do what some would call miraculous. I want you to receive today. Receive what God has for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Someone, someone's had a problem just praising and worshiping God. and I don't know what's going on there, but there's a breakthrough coming. That God's doing something in your heart right now. He's going to set you free. For whom the sun sets free is free indeed. God's doing that right now. You've, you've had a problem. You've had an issue of coming into God's presence. You've had trouble coming to church because you just there's something, an attitude or something going on, but God's doing it right now. He's setting you free of that. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I think we really should end just with a worship song, Pastor Marty. Why don't you stand and let's let's just worship God together. Let's just thank Him. I'm just going to sing a simple old chorus that just goes like this. I worship you.
reason I live and the reason I live is to worship you come on sing I worship you I worship you God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Go in the peace of God. Thanks again for joining us on our podcast today. We hope this has been a blessing in your life. We would love to have you join us for a service in person. Our service times are on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. with discipleship groups meeting before the service at 9 o'clock. God bless you.